0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are. My name is Valerie Hope, and I am your host as well as your coach for Time to Come Alive. Oh, I feel like there should be like jazz hands and confetti, (laughs) especially because I have a jazz hands and confetti kind of guest today that I'm going to have an opportunity to to really share with. So right now, I really want to make sure that we take some
1: time to. I think there's some audio interference, me a second here. And I just minimized my screen in hopes that that was what was gonna, I think that, that was might have be. been. I apologize, okay, there it hey, is. <laughs> this is so fun. This is how you learn, everybody. This is how this is you make it happen.
0: <laughs> so as we get into this conversation, before we get into it, you know, there's a few things that I wanna make sure that you all do. One is to share this. If you're watching this live, please share this with your, on your page, on your timeline, share it with your friends, because it might be a conversation that you can then follow up with. If you want some good content for dinner this evening or for lunch tomorrow or for work, this is the kind of conversation that's going to give you something meaningful to talk about. And I know because I've had great conversations with my guests and you don't want to miss it. And I want to make sure that you also prepare yourself to listen to this conversation. And the way I do that is by doing some mindfulness because I believe that the best way for us to really come alive, right, and this is the time to do it, is to be more conscious, really understand ourselves better. And when we're more conscious, we're better better able to connect with other people. And once we become conscious and connected, we're able to create some amazing things. And that's the purpose. So I'm going to prepare your listening today by taking you through a very brief mindfulness exercise. And the mindfulness exercise simply requires you to sit or wherever you're standing, to be comfortable, make sure that your feet are flat, hands on the ground, and that you really take some deep breaths. The main thing is to just exhale slowly. That will help center and focus you. You don't have to close your eyes, but if you choose to, you may. You're in a safe place, of course. But it also helps maybe to unfocus your gaze just a bit. You want to try to look inward mentally. And for this conversation, I really want you to think about someone in your life, especially someone from the past. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, perhaps a mentor, a teacher. Someone from your past who you know loves you or loved you. They might be alive, they may not be, but really think of someone who loves you, express love to you. Have that person in mind. Keep that person in mind. And now I also want you to think about someone in your present, someone that is with you in your life today, someone that loves you, someone that expresses that love and care for you. Hold them in your mind. And lastly, I want you to think about someone who will love you in the future. Again, that might be a future spouse. It might be a future child. It might be some other relationship that you have. But some, a future relationship in which you see is growing into love, it's someone in your future that will be generating love. And as you hold all these three relationships, individuals in your mind, I want you just take a couple of deep breaths and just relax into the love that they are generating or they have generated or they will generate for you. All the while, they are saying to you, may you live with ease, may you be happy, and may you be free from pain. Now, I want you to think to yourself, them saying these, words to you. May you live with ease. May you be happy. And may you be free from pain. One more time. May you live with ease. May you be happy. May you be free from pain. Take another couple of deep breaths. Send love back to those voices or back to those individuals that are in your past and your present and your future. And then refocus your gaze or open your eyes and you're back with us. Okay. Awesome. So I want to, first of all, just very quickly introduce my guest and, and then I, I, will, I will share with you because part of this conversation has already taken place in the past <laughs> and we'll explain why in just a moment, but Teresa Snyder, I met back in, oh, gosh, so we said four years ago, I think, Teresa, 2015, 2016. Uh, And what I really loved about her, we were in a a, uh, workshop together. She was a coach within this workshop, and I was one of the participants. Throughout the workshop, we had an opportunity to select a coach to work with to really implement some of the concepts that we were learning. But more than that, we had the option to select who we wanted to work with. So the coaches all presented themselves. Now, remember you, Teresa, being like this radiance (laughs) up on stage, first of all, because overall, the course is pretty, I wouldn't say serious, but, you know, people are working on communication skills and very 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 an intellectual endeavor, right? We're really using our brains to really think through and break through some of the limitations that we have in communication. And I really remember how you just showed up as this ray of sunshine, always so happy, big smile on your face, and when you shared that you'd worked in entertainment and that you were also running your own business. I, at the time, didn't know that I would be interested in any of those things, but I thought, oh, she seems like the right person for me to talk to. And that's when I went to you and I decided that you were going to be my coach for the rest of that workshop. And it's been so much fun ever since because since then we've been connected in different projects and most recently, obviously I follow you on, on social media and I know you're up to big things that we're going to talk about as well. But I, I thought today was such a, such a special opportunity to speak with you because you're working on your own stuff to come alive. And you've, you've had some things happen in your life that have brought this level of light. Your light has gone, has grown a lot sharper, a lot brighter in the last few years. So that's one thing I want to talk to you about. Um, But before we go into that, and I keep saying that, I keep teasing, before we go into that, I want to say, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put a pin on that for a second, and I want to just be upfront because (laughs) some of you may be seeing like, didn't this happen already? And you would be right, <laughs> because Teresa and I had time scheduled yesterday to do Time to Come Alive, and my audio was shot for whatever reason, was not working, and I just could not put it out to the world, because you couldn't hear me, and you couldn't hear the questions. And Teresa, you sounded phenomenal, and the questions and the answers you gave were great, and I didn't want that to be a missed opportunity for someone out there who, for whom you might be a contribution, because that's one of the things that you said over and over throughout our conversation is how important it was for you to contribute to others. And so in my mind, I needed to do a a do over (laughs) and also because I knew there are people who would benefit from hearing this message rather than just letting it go. So thank you so much for your,
1: your lovely
0: (laughs) presence and willingness to do this again.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you. And I think it's so apropos because life is still going to happen. You know, and that's the thing, it's, I'm on, or involved in quite a few different masterminds and a lot of different trainings, I still coach, I still lead, I do all these things. And that's what we've got to really be present to, and I believe you may be even the one, you may have been the one that said it during the interview yesterday, you know, despite trauma, despite People, you know, that have gone through and lost a spouse and unexpected death, all those things are still going to show up. So, when you really dive in and look at the grand scheme of this, that the audio was missing, it, to me, it's still a divine appointment for whatever reason. And we may or may not really ever know. And the thing is, is that I think that you fill up my cup and remind me. Whenever those days of like, God, oh, am I really making a difference? Is anybody really listening to what I'm, you know, saying or sharing? It is no joke, like I would imagine, somebody that's like a parent. No, that's a pretty much extreme, but I'm saying, like, you're somebody that selected me to be your coach that weekend. Mm-hmm. And just were like, clicked and we were on and you've done such great things. So it makes me so excited and so proud.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I am too. I mean, I think some of the things that you're out there doing, you really show, especially knowing now your background a little more, I can see how you really just found a way to carve a path for yourself and continue to do so. And that's one of the things that excites me so much. And and those are the guests that I find I want to connect with. I and mean, when we talk about being more conscious, being connected, I find that connecting to people who have not just overcome adversity, because I think all of us could say we qualify for that. Every one of us and alive on this planet. The fact that we, were, we came through a birth canal that, that was this small, or maybe <laughs> smaller. I don't know how big our birth canal was, <laughs> but I got the feds. But the fact that still, we just survived that process, we survived nine months <laughs> without having any control whatsoever over what was going to happen on the other side, I think is overcoming adversity. But, but I think what I really appreciate about you was some of the things that we'll be talking about later, but that you, in spite of all the things that you, the twists and turns that, that your life has taken, has continued to find a way to keep the spark lit or to light the spark when it, gl- when it blows out. And I think that's what we all need these days. You know, there's so many forces that are trying to blow out that candle, right? Blowing out that, uh, diminishing that spark. And, and you find a way to light it up again and to take it to the next level. So that's what I think is inspiring. And that's the contribution that, that you've been making in, in, in my world and definitely in the world of the people that I see that you connect with. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's just, it's very, very, very important that we do that. And whenever you know that you have a little bit of say, there's say in the matter, you can actually create things. And there's plenty of people that have gone through traumatic experience, bad experience, whatever the case may be. And it's just like you said, overcome adversity, And then take it one step further to where we don't get stuck in kind of a victim mentality.
0: Absolutely.
1: let's, Let's dive in a little bit. First of all, I just
0: want to know what, what's making you today share and continue to move forward? Like where does that come from? Where does that drive and desire come from?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think one specific instance was whenever I was at a workshop that someone was leading you know that you and I probably know inside of like the conversation came up and it was like share with your partner a time or share with your partner you know what I mean like paired sharing kind of stuff and it's like what is something that you are so just you know, embarrassed by, or you don't like to talk about, or you want to hide and put it in the closet, lock all the doors and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, in that particular moment, I just remember I was crying and crying and just Mm. really emotional. And then it came time for the leader to kind of say, okay, what's going on with some of you who wants Mm -hmm. to share. And I really got present to the fact that I hadn't, really, I hadn't really let go of the idea that I was a recovered alcoholic. That was still like, I felt broken. I still felt that level Mm. of shame, you know, that people are going to find out that that was something that I had, you know, a problem with. And it's like, you know, and they say in, in 12 step recovery, that it's not really the alcohol, it's the that's yet a symptom, you know. So just there's just a lot. So anyway, in that particular moment, when that leader had me share, and I'm just crying and just couldn't hardly gain composure, she said, Let me ask you this. When you share, the truth sets you free. Mm-hmm. The first thing. And then the second thing is, is yes, you may not want to share, but when the truth sets you free then you know, don't be stingy with that experience because you can save someone else's life. You can be a Um, You can literally um, help somebody that right now today may be feeling isolated, alone, confronted, confused. And that's finally how I kind of got over that really big hurdle. People may not see that that would have been a hurdle, but that was a hurdle. Like Brene Mm -hmm. Brown is one of my favorites, and Brene Brown Mm -hmm. talks about shame, and we Mm -hmm. have got to be able as humans to relinquish that shame that we feel.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I'm curious to give people some context. Right, you at that moment realize how much you were holding on to because of the shame that you felt. You're holding on to this notion that being a recovered alcoholic was something to be embarrassed about, not to speak up, and someone encouraged you to just begin to share this story or begin to share your experience. What was the experience? Now that you're more open to sharing about it, what was the experience and how was it impacting your life that it got to the point
1: where you were ashamed? Mm. So the marker for me, like in some of this, it's going to seem like I'm repeating it because we've had some of this conversation, but I really want the viewers to get the full full thing. So, oh, know, I'm, I was, I'm starting to subscribe. This is we're creating right here, right? right? Going, you know, conscious connect, create, yeah, it's like a, a conscious conversation, all brand new, and totally, and yeah. And so, like, the really kind of things that I've worked through is you know, I was, I was born in a small town and you know, looking back now through therapy or through different kinds of uh, programs, you know, my parents, were fantastic. And they were doing the best they can. And for whatever reason, the five, six, seven year old little girl, I thought they didn't really plan me. So I'm a mistake. Yeah. So it starts then. It starts with yeah. the little girl. And they never said that. They never told me that. They never yeah. pursued that they did encourage me to be the best. They did encourage me go to college. They did encourage me travel the world, do some of the things because they wanted my life. And I think most parents want this. They want their child's life to end up better than their own. And then, so I went through high school and I was an overachiever, great grades, involved in everything, played sports, went to college, was president of my sorority. You know, So the, the alcohol part didn't happen young for me, I was busy living, I was climbing the career ladder, and I went into medical sales, and I was a corporate sales exec climbing the, what I would say, corporate ladder, Um, for those that don't know, you know, I just was living by, someone else was going to show me they love me by giving me promotions, or awards, Mm. or whatever the case may be, so your I work was your identity. Yes, my work was my identity. That's great, Valerie. Yes, mm. my work was my identity. And it was one thing that I thought it will set me apart, that I'm not just another girl that ended up getting pregnant and all that stuff, which, mm. again, why I made that up, I don't really know. But it still mm. defined me. It gave me a way to set myself apart. And I'm married my corporate career. I married a career or careers. And so, you know, there's an aspect of, um, I'm sure, you know, that I, at one point was a, the talk about hustle. And nowadays I'm like, gosh, can we take the word hustle out of our vocabulary? And mm. that's so for me, alcohol wasn't the problem then it's when mm. all of those things started Quote unquote falling apart. The wheels were coming mm-hmm. off. The market crashed. So, the financial, as anybody that's an adult at this point and remembers, you know, 2008, 2009, when literally the stock market crashed and things changed. And I lost my corporate job and I thought I was the only one. I really did. I thought, oh my gosh. Married my career. I've always worked hard, Um, you know. And now I was part of a large layoff. Seventy percent of the company was laid off. But still, I'm over there going. It's just me. Very personal. Yeah, the
0: pain.
1: Pain is personal. Pain is definitely that is good. Pain. Say more about that. Pain is personal. Pain
0: is personal. Well. In, the, in your case, what you just described, right, although 70% of the workforce was laid off, everyone had their own experience of pain. For some people, it may have been a relief because, hey, good, I need, I've been wanting to leave and now I get a severance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea of, being, of pain being personal is that we take, I, I can't speak for we, everybody, but I imagine that many of us take some experience, especially if something that was out of our control. Mm-hmm. I know that's happened to me. And we become the victim of whatever it was that hurt us, harmed us, or inconvenienced us, challenged us, right? When This, and I, this is silly, and I don't want to go too far away, but back to that question about what, what I meant by it. When we're driving in, in, in a, on the highway, and there's a huge slowdown, and here in Dallas, Texas, it happens almost every day. Something <laughs> happens. It's not that, oh my goodness, all of these people around us are suffering. They're all wanting to get to work on time. Oh my goodness. It's like, who's this loser that's holding up traffic? I need to get to. <laughs> Pain is personal. That's yes. <laughs> oh, that
1: is hilarious. And so, it's true. Yeah. This is so true. And, and yes, we just like, it's like right here where it's like, yeah. You know, even in the world of some of the things we've done together, it's like perspective. It's like, I see this coffee with cup with the mug, you know, and you mm-hmm. don't. And we're just like, rah, rah. or we're the person that's, <laughs> you know, the coffee in the cup and we don't really see the full value and greatness of the whole picture. And it's like, I am in. Mean, uh-huh. what do you see? What are you seeing? Anyway, the pain is personal. That is so good. Mm-hmm. Pain is personal.
0: I'm going to put that on a t shirt. Right, <laughs> uh, Mark? I can to say that. Uh-huh. Man. Man. If you say it out loud, then it's legal. It is. I know, it is.
1: The thing is, yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. And it, it, wow. So, when that happened, you know, a lot of things started to unfold and come and. And I was engaged at the time and his career changed my career changed and there were just a lot of things that weren't working, even though we were both mm. amazing people. And we had different kind of goals from, from that standpoint. And so the long, short version of it is, is that literally it was six weeks until the day I was going to have this magnificent, beautiful dream wedding. And we, amicably decided that was going to be all for the glory of the story of the wedding. And I caught a lot, a lot of flack for that. A lot, because things were in place and it came time to mail invitations and we had not been getting along. I still wanted to travel to Dallas. I still wanted to go back and find another big, some kind of career and travel the world you know, mm. and for him, his, and I don't, I don't want to speak for him at all. I mean, I've made an amends. I've like kind of closed that chapter. He's happily married or whatever. There's just stuff that transpired during all of that. But I'm telling you mm. for a female to say, yeah, this is, a, it's looking like about a $50,000 wedding and we're doing it mm. in the glory of the story. It's mm. we're not looking at the marriage. We're not looking at the relationship mm. by design. So So it sounds like Teresa that
0: from what you just said, from the moment of birth and you've created this story about not being wanted, it almost feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you over time have been trying to prove yourself and prove your worth to other people, being an overachiever, you know, going out and and, and getting this great career, you know, being in a relationship with this wonderful person, having this this storybook wedding
1: in the the works. Um, Is that, is that, is that what I'm hearing? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, you know, and that again, is like things are falling apart and I couldn't grasp how to magically put them together, glue them together, continue wearing a mask per se, mm-hmm. you know, I've got it going on, whatever that, that looked like. And again, people didn't, I mean, I'm sure, People were concerned whenever it came time to be concerned about the amount of alcohol I began drinking, drinking, you know, and it's just like, I was still putting on a good front. I got it. I'm going, I'm good. I didn't want to ever be the girl that said I'd ever experienced any kind of depression or that any kind of setback. So yes, not wanted. and didn't feel like I could trust people because I have plenty of evidence to prove that you can't. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And so, w- tell us about
0: when the drinking started, and what was it in response to? Like when you read, I imagine you were doing social drinking well before, but tell us when it when you started to notice it was it was to self medicate.
1: Yes, is that whenever the it was. It was all kind of falls together 2010, and I lost my job and was missing out or ending a relationship, a, a love relationship. So that's when it was just like it was game on. And it was, and partly because some of the things in medical sales or in sales careers, I mean, it was kind of like that was the norm. And again, I'm not blaming, I'm just saying it was kind of the norm. I mean, I think alcohol is so glamorized in Western, Mm -hmm. you know, in Western culture and and potentially everywhere else, you know, here it's like you, you look at billboards, advertisements, professional teams, football teams. I mean, the consumption of alcohol is very glamorized, every party, every social. So, you know, I had really just started taking that on. And so I started becoming a fancy wine drinker. And that was really what I enjoyed. And then I started realizing, wow. It calms me down. It mm. relaxes me. People would even suggest go home. I know you like this, um, whatever job situation or the end of an engagement. Go take a hot bath. Go, buy. you know. People even gifted me wine bottles. I mean, bottles of wine. You know, housewarming mm-hmm. gifts or engagement party gifts and all that. And then, so that was 2010. And then 2011 was the year and it was because I was turning 40. And that is what I would consider a quote unquote midlife crisis. I wasn't married. I didn't have the 2.2 kids. I no longer had the big job and the big salary. So all the things that I could at least say that I had on the outside, you know, and, and I tell people that I was trapped in the golden handcuffs, because now in mm-hmm. hindsight, it really wasn't the career path that I necessarily wanted to be on, especially as the dynamics of everything was changing and the pharmaceutical industry is changing. I think there's some definite great things about the industry. And then there's some things that I experienced with some of the men that I worked for, some of the the diversity sometimes of upper echelon, and then, but then you've got just the creepy people, whatever. I mean, I don't, again, I try so hard not to blame people for what happened. So 2011, I was turning 40 that year and June Father's Day was the first time I'd ever thought I really wanted and needed to take alcohol to a Father's Day. My parents, my home, my where all my family was going to be because none of them drink. They didn't really, they just didn't. They did when I was a kid. Mm. My dad stopped drinking at one point when he was seven. When I was seven, we got baptized together. You know, we've then become Mm. very good Christian, a great, you know, upbringing from that standpoint. And yeah, so that was June. And then July was the kicker. July was when I was turning 40. And July is... I was set to go to Indianapolis to receive an award for my sorority for being outstanding general advisor for young college girls. Hmm. I was going to go to this. I had it imagined in my head and I think it is, but this Indianapolis beautiful setting with all these like celebrated women and I was going to win. I'm like, talk about, shame and not worthy. So I bought new clothes, of course, put the luggage, checked it all in on the air, you know, at the airport and just really literally couldn't even breathe. And I came home mm-hmm. and my friends knew then because I had gotten a dog sitter, somebody to watch my house and water my plants in the summer. And I just came home and that that was the true marker. So my friends came to my house in July 12th. I kind of got my bearing straight. Then my 40th birthday, they helped me celebrate. They're amazing. They even have, you know, a celebration. No one's going to, we're not going to have alcohol at this particular birthday party. Unlike some of my other birthday parties, you know, in the, in the past. And yeah, let,
0: let me just get this straight.
1: So, so there
0: was this moment where you were going to be honored for all of this achievement that you've been working so hard in your life to produce. And you got to the airport ready to go and you didn't go on the trip. Is that what I heard? That is correct. You,
1: you, you, you like left her, you left her luggage. or you buy your luggage back? Like, mm-hmm. I hope you got your luggage back. And that was a whole trick in and of itself. Cause it went on. Okay, It went to Indiana. Oh my goodness. Yes.
0: So what, so what was the thought? I mean, I know this. We're, we're focusing a little on the past, but I, I, I'm just wanting to, to give those who are listening some context for the state of mind that drove you to where you, to that bottom. So what was it in your mind, you mentioned shame, guilt, I don't deserve this prize or this recognition or to win or whatever, but what was it in your mind that said, I can't even go? Like, I'm gonna go do what exactly?
1: Mm-hmm. Is I didn't care what, honestly. I just thought I can't go and it was performance anxiety maybe. Mm. And that maybe, whenever I look back and, you know, and I don't talk about it too terribly much. I do in situations like this in the sense that it could be a contribution is that that's all, that's what I'd worked for and now is achieving it. And I thought, but my, I've lost my job. I've canceled my wedding. And now I'm going to be awarded that I'm a a role model for young women, 20, Mm. 20, 21, 22-year-old women. How in the world can I be a role model? I wouldn't want them to end up in the space that I'm in right now, checking, you know, a big bag full of fancy clothes to go get an award that I didn't feel like I deserved. I'm like, how can I be a role model for those girls? Hmm. Yeah. So that's really and, what it was. Yeah, it was like I really, yeah. Hmm. I I hear some some
0: sadness in your voice. What is the sadness? Um.
1: Because I loved helping them so much and inspiring them and empowering them. I also thought, was I giving them the wrong advice in the sense of, am I being a, I don't think it went this extreme, but I mean, am I being a feminist Nazi telling them not to get married or whatever, right? Especially, you know, in that part of the country where I live in Texas and, you know, the Bible felt there's certain expectations on women you know, yeah. I hadn't necessarily followed that. And I don't know if that's, I'd be curious what mm-hmm. what it's like for you as a female. And, like, there's a certain level of a standard that we're supposed to be identified by being a wife or, you know, or a mom or mm-hmm. domestic or whatever. And I'm thinking, how mm-hmm. am I empowering these young girls?
0: Yeah. So it sounds like what you were feeling at the time is that, have I really messed them up like the the, the thoughts that you were having about what life should be were not matched your life didn't match that anymore and that's what you had been guiding them to do and now like I don't think you don't even represent this anymore so how can you like put that it just didn't align um but I'm curious about this was in 2011 Uh 2011 I'm curious about the sadness that is bringing you right now? What, what is the sadness that's bringing you this moment?
1: Is that I think it's, it's been an interesting day today. And I think Mm. maybe because of the um, conversation that we started yesterday, right. You know, that some of these things that we kind of went there and it's like, when you allow yourself to go there and really be present mm-hmm. to what it is that maybe I hadn't thought that was I misguiding them. And really at the at the at my core, my instinctual feeling is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Just like coaching you or coaching other people. It's like, you know, we talked briefly just for a second about in the imposter syndrome, and it's kind of like um, I still want people to be able to make strong decisions for themselves and maybe that they could learn that they can choose powerfully whatever their future looked like. So I haven't been in a place until just now being with you in this conversation that I realized that's why I couldn't get on that plane that day. Um, that's reason. Uh, I didn't even like, and you know, of course, the international office is like I mean I'm really screwed up there. awards not not I mean they were given several awards you know but I told them that I'm sick and I was you know not willing or not able I guess yeah. you know yeah. and that and my friends knew how excited I was and that, how much I poured into
0: Mm.
1: Representing young college girls, and the, mm. and I was also in a transition at that time where, you know, people were saying, "Yeah, you spent one hundred fifty thousand dollars on a college degree or a master's degree, and you know, see, college really isn't all that in a bag of chips after all." Mm. Because of no longer being in corporate. So, yeah, I'm just so Cool. <laughs> uh, well,
0: I mean, I guess the good news is that eight years later, they'll know that you weren't sick. <laughs> if, if you're connected to them on Facebook, they will know. They'll find out. <laughs> but, but I think more importantly, I don't mean to make light of it, but I, I do find that you know, it's so interesting, the things that we hold on to, you know, and the meaning that we assign those instances because from my perspective now, you know, fast forward eight years later that I see you as a person who has shaken off the expectations from the outside world for the most part. And that's what so you are ahead of the curve first of all. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> so many people. And we all know what that forty is a magical age for many of us. <laughs> it really is. It's transformational, Uh, I think especially for women, but I imagine that there's so many opportunities for us to really take stock and like where we are in life and like who we are. I think for me, um, I was married and divorced before I was 30, I think 30 years old when I married and I divorced like three years later, but secretly a part of me, and I dealt with all my divorce and my ex-husband, I have a, a, a wonderful friendship, but secretly for me, it was like, whew, Check that box,
1: mm-hmm. right? I was like, know, I got married. Know, I but- literally, had friends tell me that. They said, <laughs> Just get one under your belt, you know?
0: Literally and, it, and
1: figuratively. Wow, I <laughs> under- <laughs> and I truly believe. I truly believe that they. Some of them thought they could stand by me easier in a divorce than actually stopping a wedding. And but whoa. It, you know what I mean? But think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, the women put so much emphasis on the day or the fairy tale. Yeah. And well, maybe it'll work out after y'all do get married. There's yeah. still hope. Yeah, they literally they're and yeah. and I was making I was going against the grain again, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a judge people that way. Right? There there, that is so many
0: we've been indoctrinated in many cases from very young age about what that should look like and that's a judge that that's not a significant transition or a significant uh, step and a demonstration of the faith love commitment family i mean all of those things part of it but i think what you're pointing to teresa that's so um, important for us to not miss is that so up to that point to that crisis that you have So much of your life was measured by all the external trappings of success. And when those trappings which were completely out of your control because you lost the marriage because it takes two to want the marriage. It's not like you could just let me just get this guy and you're just gonna have to be there for whatever. You know, that doesn't (laughs) happen. Well, not 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 without the money. Right (laughs) without the money or crown or
1: something. something, And I'm like
0: (laughs) But that was that was out of control, right? That's take two, it's a partnership. A company hires, again, a contractual relationship mm-hmm. at which any point they could decide to release. Again, out of your control, they made a decision. And and then you have this, this experience of yourself where you've been given, you know, opportunities to influence and to mentor and you thought, oh, now people are measuring the quality of mentorship by giving me this award that now I have to live up to this standard. So it sounds like so much of your life up to that crisis point was about living up to all these external standards that didn't necessarily fulfill. And I'm 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 guessing here, so you correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like those standards were fulfilling. They were more like you said, the golden handcuffs. They were, they were kind of trapped. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. So, yes. who all that to say, and I just want to keep us focus on the on the on the. On the, the lining, right on the on the horizon, mm-hmm. that that crisis point led to what exactly in your life? What happened mm-hmm. at, from that moment? Like, I know there was, well, I think there was a more more dramatic, uh, a more dramatic crisis that occurred. Can you take
1: us to that moment and then mm-hmm. tell us kind of what what was the impact of that? Mm-hmm. And. I didn't expect to be tearful at this particular part, but again, it's like whenever you go back and you revisit and you really allow your emotions to come out fully and you don't have to stuff anything down. So yes, same thing. It was, you know, that July. So I didn't get on the plane July 12th, my birthday, it was turning 40 that year. And then I still was like thinking I'm just a mess. and Life is just not going where I want and blah, 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 blah. And so September 16th on a Friday is the, I think it's September 16th of 2011 on a Friday. That day I woke up to the sounds of ambulance. The sounds of the ambulance sirens. And I woke up not even really knowing what was going on. And then remembering that day was a day that I thought I, I literally just want to drink myself to the point of death. Took sleeping pills. Wow. Yeah, sleeping pills and drink as much alcohol as my body could, could, I guess, tolerate. Shockingly, I can't imagine why I didn't get sick and all that or whatever the case may be. Again, but my friends were concerned because there'd been a lot of me going in, uh, in and out of communication, a lot of hiding out, isolating, telling them I would be places, be accountable to people, be accountable to a schedule. And, you know, and I was old model or whatever you want to call it. I'm like, I mean, I was kind of manipulating the situation because I just wanted to, all the pain to go away. And that's hence the reason why I ended up choosing alcohol. And other things that weren't legal, luckily, I didn't get trapped in that as far as like mm-hmm. cocaine or something. But anyway, so that was my whole reason for the, the alcohol. And then, so my parents came and I I begged the doctors not to tell or release any information about the alcohol content, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and they told them that they were, they told my aunt that they were very surprised that I lived through it. still, it was all about me. I mean, I was still in my pity party and woe is me. And look at all these things that have gone wrong. And, you know, this happened and that happened, drama, drama, drama. And then, you know, it took until December. It took until December, December 22nd, 2011 is my sobriety date. And the short version of that, and because I do want to get to the silver lining is that I had my favorite white BMW car, and I'd gone out in the horrible, horrible, terrible snowstorm. All businesses and companies were closed, and not even. But I thought I have to get to the liquor store because I won't be able to make it through a snowstorm without having alcohol. And when, was this the day that you decided that you were going to drink yourself to death? No, this was this another oh. time.
0: That oh, was, this this was, this before was before that. November. Okay, I
1: know that's like okay. Yeah. Because you would think, wouldn't that be enough of a of a wake up call in September? Wouldn't going by ambulance to the hospital be enough of a wake up call? And still get puzzled by how was it not? Because Mm. logically and intelligently it didn't make sense. But emotionally and the depths of how what alcohol does to a person or any kind of numbing out, whether it's shopping or Another relationship, or how people eat chocolate. I mean, there's a lot of different coping mechanisms. A potato chips. Yeah, potato chips. All you know, the whole back, whatever, right? Just happens. Yeah. Alcohol really is can provide severe consequences more so than the potato chips. Yep, I can get some cellulite <laughs> on my arms and all that. Which I'm, <laughs> but yeah, that day. Okay. I ended up. I rear-ended a a family, and thank God everybody was okay. Thank goodness nothing traumatic happened. That was the wake-up call, because it was no longer about me and my pity party. It was about that I was affecting others. It was that I could have injured, I could have harmed, and I was doing that to my friends and family, but I didn't realize it, because I was just thinking... Oh, y'all stop worrying about me. I'm okay, you know, miss positive, independent. And yeah, they were struggling too, because they were having to keep up with and how am I doing, checking in, me being accountable, not being accountable. But that day in December was the day I realized the consequences were greater than than me. And then and first, what have you done? Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go ahead.
0: So, so since that, that, that wake up call, what shifted exactly? What, what did it wake you up to do? Mm, it wake, it
1: woke me up to, it was that defining decision that it was like, I don't want it anymore. And for me, I consider it a spiritual experience in its own way. It wasn't like lights and music and halos and all that kind of stuff, but it was definitely a spiritual experience where yeah. God saved me from my own stuff. And it was a shift. It was a shift. It was like, I'm done. I can't do this. It's disgusting. I mean, I really, I mean, it was like a family was in my like right there in my presence. It was like Mm. no longer that I could harm myself. It was, I was harming others. Mm. Got that. So then I made that decision and I got myself into a 12 step program. I got a sponsor, started going to landmark and other transformational getting in church or around certain faith-based people that I could trust. I started opening up and getting some things complete with my parents who just didn't understand, hmm. you know, and again, course after course and, and that was just like, wow. So it was just okay. really life-changing, life-changing moment. Life-changing moment. was almost like
0: the life. Light- the lights came on, right? That yep. you literally just flipped the switch and all of a sudden you could see, Oh, this is what I'm, this is what, what it's cost me mm-hmm. to live this way or to have these expectations or to follow this path. And it sounds like you really found all these tools, resources to, to help you come out of that. I right? could kind of got, get out of this now coming out of the dark. Right. Now, um, I want to shift gears a little bit, but you know you talk so much about how you have you've invested so much of your life and your time in, in, in presenting this great facade right this facade to to people in your life growing up. Mm-hmm. you told me that you recently went to your thirtieth high school reunion, so I'm curious about it because that I think that's where the rubber meets the road right <laughs> Where you like have that opportunity to come back full circle to where it started, where we all tend to have this very this uh mask on i know for high for me high school definitely was a place where i definitely wore masks. i just didn't i didn't like to <laughs> engage yes. or want to engage but what was it like going to your reunion and what was that what did that do for you or for the, those that you interacted with
1: yeah it's um it was just a couple of weeks ago. And so right now, currently as an entrepreneur, and again, taking on all of these different kinds of you know, books and how I've been writing and taking on uh, interviewing and having conscious conversations with people and being a media host and finding some passions. So going to my reunion, it was surreal. Surreal in a way, you know, yet it was like, wow, like, I have so much to be grateful for. And it was exciting just to see people and, you know, in good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of people know my story, whether or not they heard about it through gossip or they heard about it through Facebook or rumors or, or you know, friends that are truly concerned and they saw mm-hmm. a setback became a comeback. And mm-hmm. so that setback of 2011 became a comeback to where again, I could find ways to have conversations with you because, you know, mm. like this is a beautiful moment. And yeah. I never thought, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, but no, no, I want to finish, finish that thought. I never would have thought. Yeah, and it's never would have thought that I would have been here with you with somebody that I met in the center at a, at a workshop and that here we are paving the way for people, carving a path. Mm for others through a conversation. Absolutely. I I am curious
0: though about you you know, you mentioned some of the things that were that kept that mask in place and the experience that you have when you you noticed that even talking about it brought shame. What where's the shame now? Well I'm not to say that it's some place that you put it somewhere, but right? what how have you have you how have how are you
1: handling or how are you working with or through this shame? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, is that I I heavily surround myself with good, healthy people. I I stay involved in a 12-step program. You know, I follow and read a lot of things by Brene Brown. I do mastermind Mm -hmm. groups with other like-minded individuals. The things that I choose, where I choose to spend my time is it's an elevated level of confidence not not confidence an elevated level of consciousness and it's not that it's better than you know what i mean mm. like it's just different it's a spiritual walk it's a faith it's a trust mm. it's a i believe in hope and i believe i truly believe that god gives us tools mm. and we can really manifest and do some things so you know, just the shame comes up. It does. Mm-hmm. It obviously came up today, and it kind of came up unexpectedly. Yet, there's mm-hmm. just that one other little eye opener, right? Another discovery about it. Mm-hmm. Another, yeah. another conversation to be in with others, because I, I did. I, I um, have done some work around being complete, as we know some of the terminology of getting things complete or making amends. Some people are familiar with amends and, and work like that. It's like that I just a couple of few weeks ago made a phone call to the international office of that sorority to be reinstated, to be able to help them again. And that I was nervous Mm. and she's like, okay, Mm. we'll we'll have to meet council meets and all that kind of stuff. And I get it, you know, but for me to make that call, I mean, there's some completion, but not some completion to actually want to be reinstated, to really Mm. want to find a way to, again, I have a story, whether or not it's not my, that's not my motive to share my story so much, but to be a contribution is my motive. I I love that you're saying this
0: because I think the misconception, especially when we're in the pain or in the shame, that we don't see how that can be catapulting for us to get into the, to contribute something of meaning. I I remember when I talked about my divorce and, and what's funny I had, I had this moment and I I knew that that the writing was on the wall that this just the marriage just isn't not working. And but I'd worked so hard to make it work. And I'm like, I put some elbow grease in this thing, I'm gonna make it work. <laughs> no matter what. Yes. And he was like, No, it's not gonna work. I'm done. And I'm like, But wait, just one more thing, <laughs> let's work Anyhow, I remember I, I hadn't told anybody that he'd moved out of the house. I mean, there's it was like all kinds of stuff, and I remember I'd always, you know, I was raised by a very strong human beings, you know, my, both my parents and my three brothers, and you know, crying and sadness, I defined as a weakness when I was young. It was like, no, just, just get over it, and make it work. And I remember specifically the day that I went to, I went to church this one day and I actually sat in the parking lot for a while because I was just like, Oh, I don't know. They're going to ask me like, Oh, where's your husband? And I just didn't want to have to talk about it. Cause I was just feeling particularly sensitive that day. And it so happened. And actually I I'm thinking the story specifically because I saw uh, one of the people that I told and I went into church and you know, everybody's greeting and whatever. And I remember, uh, Rick Potter and Rick shout out to you. I know you're listening
1: that um,
0: he came up to me and he's like, Hey, how are you? And Hey, where's your husband? We haven't seen him in a while. And I just remember, and there's been weeks at this point that I knew that the writing was on the wall. And I just said, um, he moved out, we're getting a divorce. And it was just like, I know, just rolled off my back. And what I was most afraid of was that I was going to feel bad and guilted or like, Really? Oh, my gosh, you? And there was some pity or something. I just felt that it was, was going to show some level of weakness. But I remember him and his wife Gwen were just like, okay, how are you? You okay? We love you anyway. And I was just like, that's it? <laughs> that's all. Not, not, not it from them, but I'm like, I was making this huge deal, like carrying this shame like a bag. I mean, it was like encased, but yeah. it was in the set pillow. My, <laughs> it was like I had my shame on a satin pillow and a and a glass case, just carrying it around. She's like, "Ah, uh-uh, don't mess with it! Don't mess with it! I'm not sharing this thing." And the moment that <laughs> they said, and I just let you know, I just passed it on. And I said, "Here, this is what I'm embarrassed about. Here's what's happening." It was almost like the glass broke, and it just disappeared. And, and that was the beginning, right? So, anyway, I just I, I say this because I think what you're pointing to is. How so much can be gained. And I, I thank my lucky stars for that marriage and for the divorce. Mm-hmm. And it was a, as painful as heck to go through it for sure. But I'm so grateful for it because what it did is literally broke that. That case was not just a shame. That case was my heart. That case was my soul. That case was my joy. All of it was stuck in this little box that I had to really protect. And, and it just really broke me open and emotionally infused my life with so much joy and introspection and it it did so much for me so i am so grateful that your pain and your shame has turned to triumph and that you're continuously finding a way to make, to to give it life to give that and contribute that to other people that freedom that that you're gaining in the process and by sharing your story cuz i know even in our Conversation about what we were going to talk about. This was something that you hadn't really put out there that often. So I'm so honored that you chose today and yesterday (laughs) and me and time to come alive to 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 make that known. Thank you so much for joining us. And and I'd love to just end by asking you to share what you're up to now. I know there's something that that's coming up for you that's really important. So if you could share how they what they need
1: to know and how they can get a hold of you and all of that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And thank you. And I acknowledge you. You're fantastic how you have a conversation that you just really are safe and encouraging. And you do, you help. There's so much freedom in it. Like I literally was witnessing the, the, the glass breaking whenever you were mm. shooting that visual is so good. So, so thank you, Valerie. Mm-hmm. Huge acknowledgement for you. And thank yes, you. that I am a finalist in the next impactor the competition yes I'm like well you know and it really and that's a whole nother interview conversation for the future it's just that it's not about winning like kind of how I have to prove myself like I was sharing it is now that it's about disabled humans that really have they're coming alive they are alive and it's Mm -hmm. like I have connected with people that you know, I never would have expected the prompt, mm. What is the name of the organization? So it is the next impactor, the next impactor and the, the organization is disabled, but not really. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Disabled, but not really. So my final challenge is to raise money, raise awareness. And the finale live finale is in Chicago the deadline for donations is one week from Friday, August 23rd. So any donation that anybody wants to make, helpteresawin.com.
0: Helpteresawin.com. So. All the funds are going to disabled, but not really. And this is the charity or the organization that you chose to represent to, to be the ambassador of in order for you to participate in this next impactor event
1: yes okay and cool. yeah and, and that's that's it so help teresa com. it is about the people that are really not being trapped by their circumstances because mm. you really i mean you start talking about like people comebacks it's amazing so so valerie thank yeah you. oh Bye. thank you so much teresa i'm so
0: excited to have had this opportunity and of course I'll make sure to put your contact information. So if anybody's interested in reaching out to Teresa, asking questions about any of her story, but then also what she's up to now and how you can get involved or contribute, uh, be sure to, I'll be sure to share that with everyone. Next week, guys, on Time to Come Alive, I'm really happy to have a guest from New Zealand. (laughs) our good friend, Tina Wakefield, and a fellow coach She's been working in technology for many years and really wants to share her journey in being a woman in technology and some of the things that she's learned and how she's mentoring other women in the process. So really interested to hear. We're going to do things slightly different to honor her time zone. We're going to actually be having the conversation at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, so that way she can participate. It's early her morning the next day. I just want to be sure to let you all know, and I'll be I'll be sending this out so you'll know when to tune in with us. Uh, Teresa, again, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Loved having you. Love what you share. And the do-over, man, it couldn't have been better. This is oh, <laughs> talk yeah. about a comeback. A comeback. Talk about a comeback. <laughs> Amen yes. to that. All right, everyone, have a wonderful week. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.